So part four of this series, I want to remind you of just a couple things before we jump in uh, to the message today. The first of which is um, we've been um, gathering questions that you have about the specific topics that we've covered throughout this series throughout the last four weeks. Um, And today is the last day uh, for us to collect those. So next week, I'm actually going to have a couple professional counselors up here on the stage with me to go through and, and, and answer some of those. So if you've got a question about any of the things that we've covered so far or today, um, questions come up, um, make sure you text those to us by the end of today so we can have those ready uh, for next week. Uh, the second thing um, I want um, to communicate is out of all the topics that we've covered in this series, this one feels most out of my league. I am just telling you, I, it, it, is, it is way over my head. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to communicate as best as I can, but I say that to tell you um, this has been a series with three churches that have, that have dealt with one topic each, each, and, indiv- each and every week. I want to encourage you, um, because I got a sneak peek of Grant's message from Western Hills, I want to encourage you at some point today or sometime this week to go watch or listen to Grant's message, because it's way better than mine. Okay, um, there's, there's so many good things that he talks about and unpacks in his message. I really want to encourage you to do that, okay? Um, so two reasons. I'm way out of my league today, way over my head, and you need to listen to Grant's message, okay? Um, so to, to start, I wanna, I, I've kind of tried to stay away from statistics, at least in the message portion of, of this series, um, mainly because they can just kind of come across as stale or impersonal. Uh, But I actually want to start with some statistics when it comes to depression in America, Um, just because they're so, as I looked at them this week, they're just so staggering to me, and it's going to set us up for where um, we're going. So in the United States, every single year, 17 million people are diagnosed with depression. 17 million every single year. And that doesn't include, include uh, social anxiety or, or bipolar or seasonal depression or postpartum, none of that. It's just those who are, who are diagnosed with chronic depression. Um, another 5% of the population um, deals with seasonal depression twice a year. Like, like twice a year, it happens at the end of fall and right around March, of the population has a biological reaction to the weather that affects their mental health. Um, Ladies, you are twice as likely to suffer from depression than men. And then um, the average age for the onset of depression is about 32 years of age. Some some people struggle with it earlier, some start later, but the average age... Is 32. And then the one that just shocked me when I saw this um, of the 17 million people that are diagnosed with or, or, or struggle with depression every single year, only 20% will seek out any kind of treatment or help for it. Only 20%. It's a legitimate psychological and physiological illness. And only 20% of people will seek help for it, which we know is, is why, one of the reasons why, and they've done studies on this, which is one of the reasons why um, suicide rates are so much higher than they've ever been. Because, because people don't seek out help, they don't feel like they can get help, or they're, they're treated, but they're treated inappropriately, 
with uh, drugs that don't help or drugs that have all kinds of unbelievable side effects or they treat themselves with with alcohol or opioids and there's still this weird thing in America where depression is still kind of taboo and and so only 20% of people will seek out help which means the other 80% just kind of continue to struggle in it church depression is real it's real. It, and if it's not a part of your life, it's probably a part of somebody's life that you love or it will be a part of somebody's life that you love. So the, that's, that's the discouraging news. The encouraging news to me is that not only does the Bible talk about depression, but many of the authors of Scripture battled depression. They didn't use the same language um, that we use today, but they struggled with that same dark night of the soul that many of us have. Um, they, they ask questions like, why go on? Why continue? Right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago with Elijah. I, I, I just want to die. I don't want to continue on. Why fight? Why continue pushing up against this? Why believe in a God that seems so distant in the midst of it? Like, is it, is it even worth it? Like, those questions come about in the Bible, and you say, the Bible talks about depression? Yeah, unfortunately, the church just hasn't. Which is one of the reasons I want us to talk about it. It's been one of those things that, that we just haven't been sure what to do with, so we've shied away from it, but, but the Bible is full of, of words, of, of people, of descriptions of, of what we just talked about, what we just looked at. So today, I want to show you just one example of this. Psalm 42 is where we're going to be. If you want to find that in your, in your Bible um, or your mobile device, Psalm 42. If you have a, 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 an actual physical Bible, you go to the middle and go maybe a little bit left um, to get to Psalm 42. Um, the author of Psalm 42 is dealing with both spiritual and physiological depression. We're going to talk about both of those here in a minute. But in the midst of dealing with this, of expressing this, they actually take steps towards dependence on God. Okay? They don't just sit there in it, but they actually take steps towards um, the dependence on God. It doesn't fix the problem. It's not the easy button. It doesn't cure them. Okay, but this is, this is a little bit of a toolkit. The author is actually going to give us some tools that we can use to depend on God in the midst of depression. Okay, so here we go. Let's look at this. Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Pause right here for a minute, especially if you've grown up or been in and around the church for most of your life. I, I would bet my lunch money that you've heard this phrase before, right? You've heard it in songs. You've seen it on Mardell coffee cups. You've seen it crocheted into Bible covers, okay? You've seen this in, in multiple places. And, and, and we have so completely misconstrued it. We've so completely swung and missed on this. See, because what it's, I, I've, I've been in the church since I was in diapers, and the way that it's always been kind of expressed to me is, oh, I just long for more of God. And it's this emotive romanticism type of thing. That's not what's happening here. 
That is, that is not what's happening here at all. What the author is actually saying is, I am so deeply empty, and I need you, God. It's like, it's like my soul hasn't been satisfied for years. I'm just so empty. Like There's no romanticizing the desperation he feels. And, and if we don't get that, we miss the rest of it. We have to understand this is where he's starting. This is the place he's at. I'm empty and I need you, God. Second verse. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? There's some mocking happening here in the midst of his depression. We'll come back to that later. Verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Listen to these questions. These are in the Bible. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then it's almost like he kind of reminds, he speaks to his soul. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he goes on, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is just a poetic way of expressing how he feels. I, I, I will remind myself of how great thou art. Did you notice that? Then sings my soul. Some of you sang that from a place of, of good, positive, right? Others of you, you just have to remind your soul how great thou art. That's what he's doing. I have to remind myself of how great you are in the land of Jordan, like in my life, my physical presence, day to day on this little patch of dirt that I call home. I'm going to remind myself of how good you are, and yet there's something inside of me that doesn't feel right. Deep calls to deep. It's almost like this thing deep in the ocean that I can't see, that's mysterious, that I can't get my hands on. But whenever those emotions burst forth, it's like a tsunami that just comes and takes me out. It takes my soul out and I can't, I have nothing to grab onto. This is what he's describing, right? Verse eight. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And then verse 11, it's the same thing as verse 5. Why? My soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God, my Savior, and my God. One of the, um, I think one of the greatest misconceptions about depression and anxiety, really any mental illness, is that you either have it or you don't. Like we think it's black or white, it's on or off. That's actually not true. There's a whole lot more gray to it. So because we think that, we go, well, are you depressed today or are you not? We want to know, is it an on day or an off day? Do you feel like waking up today and doing life, or do you just want to stay in bed? We have this black and white perspective, especially in the evangelical subculture. When we don't understand something, 
We try to make it as clear as possible because the gray is awkward and uncomfortable. So we polarize it. We put it into camps so we can get our hands on it and we can know what to do with it. And we can know what to do with somebody who's on either side of that. And we do this with so many things, but, but especially with mental illness. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm just, I'm just pointing something. I'm making an observation so we can change our thinking and hopefully our behavior. We, we try to make it black and white so we can engage with either side of the spectrum. So if someone is, de- is not depressed, well, then we can engage with them normally, right? We don't have to walk around on eggshells. We can just talk to them. We can hang out with them. We don't have to worry about triggering them. That's, that, that's, that's good. They're normal. And then when the pendulum swings, you know, it's not somewhere in the gray. It's all the way on the opposite side. And someone is depressed, someone is diagnosed, someone is going through treatment, whatever it might be, we're actually okay with that because we think, well, I can help. I can, I can pray. I can, let's rally around you. Let's, let's get you a couple casseroles or something, right? I, I can, I, we, can, we can do something about that. But what do you do with the gray? What do you do with the stuff that's in between? We don't know what to do with the ambiguity of that. We, we think if you're good, you're good. But if you're not, let me help get you good. But that's not how it works. And here's, here's how it might look practically. So um, a mom has her first baby. And that baby just cries for the entire first year. And she's tired. And she doesn't feel like a good mom. And there's some mom guilt that comes with that. And she just wants to stay in bed. And then there's even more mom guilt. And then she looks at all the other first-year moms posting their perfect babies and their perfect life on their perfect Instagram stories. And their makeup is perfect. And she knows she only put that makeup on for that post. But I still feel guilty because I don't look that good. And there's all this stuff that just keeps on coming at her, right? But a year goes by. year goes by and the baby isn't crying anymore. And she's got a little bit more freedom and normalcy back in life. And life is a little bit normal, but she doesn't feel normal. What, What do you do with that? That's the gray. That's the awkward. That's the in between. It's like, I can watch your kid for a couple hours, but is that, I don't think that's gonna fix you. Or you're a great mom. What do you do with that? That's hard. That's the in-between. That's the gray. Uh, statistically speaking, the most common one is the, the, the seasonal stuff. It's actually one of the reasons we did this series when we did it. Because this is one of the times of year where most people deal with this. Like every year, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people wake up somewhere around Halloween in our city and something's wrong. They're not sure what it is. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know who to talk about it. They kind of even feel dumb for even feeling it, but they just want it to be summer again. And listen, I'm with you, <laughs> right? And, 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 and there's this, you know, people kind of poke fun of them, like, why do you hate pumpkin spice and scarves? This is the best time of year, right? And it has nothing to do with fall, It has to do with their own sanity (laughs) because they wake up and they just want to go back to bed and they don't know what's wrong. That's, what do you do with that? That's a weird place to be. That's the gray. And I, I, I think the beautiful part about this passage is that the author lives in the gray. 
there's like, okay, my soul is downcast and I am just a mess and yet I will put my hope in God. It's like he's feeling and experiencing everything on this spectrum. It's not on or off. It's not black or white. It's somewhere in between. It's, it's not robotic. It's so much more human, right? But he describes what he's feeling in, in, in two different ways. The author talks, he, he talks a little bit about some spiritual depression and the spiritual gray, but then there's also this physiological depression. And on the screen it says, you know, spiritual versus physiological. It's not, it's not a versus thing. It's more like an and thing. There's both of these. And I, I want to remind you, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But I want to talk about this a little bit, okay? Spiritual depression. The author describes something every single Jesus follower has ever experienced if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time. And here's how he says it. God, I know you're good and faithful, but I feel completely disconnected from you right now and I'm not sure what to do. I know you're good, but I don't see how that goodness is like interacting in my life. It's the dark night of the soul. That's spiritual depression. It's this disconnect between what you want to feel, what you want to believe, and what you actually feel and what you actually believe in that moment. And I want to point this out. Did you notice he never confesses any sin? Like he never talks about himself as unrighteous. There's lots of Psalms that do that. That's usually our default. If I sense some distance between me and God, it's obviously my fault. But he doesn't go there. All he says is, I just feel like something's wrong here. And I miss you. I need you. I'm doing everything I know to do. Why have you forgotten me? And again, if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you've, you've, you've felt this. Jesus experienced that on the cross. Like in the moment that he was accomplishing the mission he was sent to earth for. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I think one of the things that we just need to admit we need to confess this, is that depression is an illness, not a sin. It's an illness to be treated, not a sin to overcome. Because if, if you're dealing with cancer or chronic back pain or diabetes, has anybody ever come to you and said, well, you're just not trusting in God. You're, you, you just need to have more faith. They sure shouldn't. And it's equally false to say that suffering from depression or any other mental illness is a sin. It's something that takes place inside of us at the, the level of our spirit, of our soul. But then there's this other thing that, that he describes. It's not, it's not spiritual, it's physiological. It's like there's something at war in my body. I'm not battling God. I'm not, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm battling myself, and I don't know who's going to win because I don't think I'm a part of either side of the battle. It's like if you deal with depression, you feel that war happening inside of you, and, and you kind of feel like a third party in your own body. Like chaos is ensuing, and you're not sure how or when it's going to stop. The psalmist says, why are you so downcast, O oh, my soul? So think about it. He has the cognitive ability to understand something is wrong at a deeper level than what his brain is telling him. 
Like he, he knows something is wrong. He talks about his mortal bones being in agony. Like he knows there's something wrong physiologically happening inside of him. So depression is both spiritual and physiological. And you say, okay, does it start with the spiritual and move to the physiological or does it start with the physiological and move to the spiritual? Yes. Like there is no rhyme or reason. There is no equation, right? And, and, and please hear me. The purpose of the psalm, the purpose of, of, of Scripture is not for us to go, oh, finally someone gets me. Like, that's good. That's helpful. It's comforting to know that inspired by God, people felt this way. But that's not the point of the Scripture. The author doesn't stay there. He points us or he gives us an example and this is where that toolbox comes into play, the, the dependency on God in the midst of depression comes into play. And I see three things here that he gives us that we can do to remain or to stay or to, to, to change, to shift to dependency on God in the midst of depression. And I want to talk about these three things, not because once you do them, you'll never be depressed again. That's not the point of the passage. Like nowhere does he say, you know, put your hope in God and everything will be fixed. It's not how it works. Um, God can, God, we pray for that, we ask for that, we believe in that, but even if he doesn't, he still provides a way for us to stay, to get, to remain dependent on him and some next steps. So as I go through these three things, I want to encourage you. Number one, if you deal with depression, anxiety, bipolar, whatever it might be, do these on a regular basis, even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't feel like it. And, and for those of us who this isn't our struggle, but your friends and family, do this on their behalf because they will often forget. And like, you didn't need a preacher to tell you that. <laughs> because you know. You, you, you see it, okay? Be this person for them. First one, to depend on God in the midst of depression, remind yourself of what you truly need. And I would underline the word Truly. Remind yourself of what you truly need. Not what you think you need, but what you truly need. And, and I'm going to make it sound a whole lot easier than it actually is. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things to do, but it's also one of the most helpful things that you can do and we can do for you. Um, the author says, my soul pants for you, my God. I remember how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise. What I need is you, God. What I need is you. That's a very wise perspective in the midst of dealing with some of this stuff. Psalms is in the, the section of scripture that we know of as wisdom literature. So this is someone um, who, who experienced something for a long time. God worked in their life over years. They brought their personal experience to bear. The, the spirit worked in their, their lives and it produced wisdom to guide us in life. So there's, there's a wise way to go about doing that. But too often, when we deal with depression, when we can't see a foot in front of us because the cloud is too thick, what we think we need is something to remove the trigger from our life. So those the individuals who, who, who deal with depression have triggers. It may be obvious. It may be something that they can point to and say, that's what triggered me. Or it might be something that's not as obvious and it's kind of ethereal. Okay? So they're, they're living life, they're going along, they're not too high, they're not too low, and something happens to them or around them or in them, and it triggers that depression, and they're just right back there. And it could be something as simple 
as coming home to an empty house. And, and it's the thought of, I'm alone. Nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. I'm going to die alone. Why keep living? And they're, they're right there. And in the midst of that, what we think we need is, well, I need something to remove the trigger, so I need a boyfriend. No, I need a girlfriend. No, you know what? I'll get a spouse. Even better yet, I'll have some kids, because they'll always be with me. That'll fix me. And we, we, we deal with the symptom as opposed to the disease. We deal with the trigger Instead of taking a step back and say, what's, what's the wise choice here in the midst of the chaos? Well, I can take a step back and I can think about, okay, what's, what's triggered me? What is the cause of this? And what do I actually need right now? Um, for some people, it's as simple as going to the grocery store, standing in the cereal aisle and being overwhelmed with all the choices. And, and they're they're frozen and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to pick. And then people start coming down the aisle with their shopping carts. And okay, are they looking at me? Do they know I'm freaking out right now? Because I'm freaking out right now. And they leave all of their groceries in the basket and they go home. Like, what's the remedy for that? Do you never buy cereal again? Do you never go to the grocery store? No, I think it's to remind yourself okay, what I'm feeling right now, it's a real emotion. I'm not crazy. This is a real struggle. This is real pain. And yet what I truly need is not to remove the trigger, but I need to remind myself of the goodness and faithfulness of God, even in the midst of the junk. The psalmist says, I long for you. I need you, God. And he remembers the days that he would go to the house of the Lord and he encountered God there. He, he encountered joy and praise and goodness. He's reminding himself what he truly, ultimately needs. He needs God. And it's so simple. At the same time, those of you who deal with this are going, if only it were that easy, right? <laughs> I, I, I wish it was as easy as you're making it sound. Remind yourself. You, you don't need those other things to cease in order to know what you truly need. And if you could just for a moment, this is not what I truly need. What I truly need is more of him. Maybe that provides enough space to take a deep breath, take a step back. Okay, how do I take a step forward now? And, and for those of us who are friends and family, we need to remind them, of what they truly need. I would go with Frosted Flakes or Captain Crunch, but that's completely up to you, <laughs> right? Help them. Remind them of what they truly need. Remind yourself what you truly need. Number two, revoke the critics in your life. Um, I heard this this week. I'm still processing it, so I'm giving you an unfinished product here. But I heard somebody say this week that anytime there is depression, there is oppression, Anytime there's depression, there's oppression. That people that battle depression will battle voices from outside of themselves and inside of themselves that are oppressing them. 
that are, are, are speaking untruths over them or in them, that um, you're unworthy, you're incapable, there's no point in going on anymore, you're going to deal with this the rest of your life, all of these different things. This is the psalmist. He gives us a glimpse into this. Verse 10, my bones, his physical body, he feels this in his body. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? That's the critic that needs to be revoked. So a couple examples. Have you ever read the story of Job? If anybody in the history of humanity had a, had a right to be depressed, it was Job, right? All of this loss in a short period of time, and then his friends show up and they tell him, it's your fault. This is God's judgment on you, buddy. It's like, it's no wonder only 20% of people seek help. They're terrified. They're terrified to say it because they're afraid of what people are going to say to them. And because we polarize it, because we put it in one way or the other, it's black or white, on or off, because we don't know what to do with the gray, we say some of the dumbest things. So if, if you find yourself in that place, Find a way to revoke the power of those words in your life. And yes, that may mean distancing yourself from people or putting some boundaries around them. Love them. You can love them and still distance yourself from them. Help them understand how their words aren't helpful, but you don't, just don't allow their words to have power over you. And then for those of us who, struggle with the, who don't struggle with depression, the story of Exodus in Exodus 17 a great example of how we can help those around us. Um, Exodus 17, the Israelites are at war with the Amalekites and things are not going well. They're losing the battle. And Moses, their leader, finds out that whenever he stands up on the hillside and has his arms up, they win the battle. It's this picture of interceding for and petitioning on behalf of the, the, the Israelites. And God intervenes, right? But the battle continues to rage and Moses' arms get tired and he can't do it anymore. So Aaron and Hur show up. And you know what Aaron and Hur don't say? Man, you should have done some more bicep curls in the gym. Like You need to do some more back and shoulder stuff, Moses. No. They have him sit down on a rock and they hold up his arms for him. It's this, it's this picture of, hey, when you can't do it, let me do it for you. And, and I think that's a great picture of how the church should be, that, that, that we hold up the arms of people who can't do it themselves. And yes, that may mean you're holding up their arms for the rest of your life or the rest of their life because some of you are married to them. Or it's a son, it's a daughter, it's a mom, it's a dad. It, it might be a burden, it might be a ministry you have for the rest of your life, but it's a good, it's a beautiful ministry. Does that make it easy? <laughs> nope. But it's a good picture of what we should be like instead of Job's friends, who are just critics. Last thing. To depend on God in the midst of depression, recall what's true and right, especially when you don't feel it. Recall what's true and right. It's one of the greatest temptations in the midst of darkness, when the cloud just comes, is to believe what's not true. Like you're going you're to tell yourself things that aren't true and are not right, that I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good dad, God is upset with me, I've earned this somehow. 
and, and all of us, like depression or not, all of us can feed those thoughts or we can fight them with a whole bunch of truth. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that memorizing scripture is such a good habit. It hides truth in our hearts when those moments come, when those things attack. Verses 5 and 11, he says the same thing twice. So psalm, psalms are songs, so it was written kind of to be sung. So you could think of this as the chorus. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And it's, like, it's like he stops to remind himself in the middle of his questioning. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he says the same thing in verse 11. It's the chorus. It's what he's saying over and over and over. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you can't get there emotionally, remind yourself of what is true. Force your soul to remember what is true even when you don't feel like it. This is what professionals call cognitive behavioral therapy. Do something even if you don't feel like doing it. Do something. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like getting up every single day and reminding yourself I'm worthy of life because I was made in the image of God. And God delights in me. I may not delight in myself. I might not feel it at the soul level, but God delights in me. I am not a failure. I am not wasted space. It is enough that Jesus loves me. Tell yourself the things that are true and right, and then you combine that with professionals and people around you that love you, and all of a sudden, it's not going to be fixed. It's not going to go away, but all of a sudden, the cloud gets a little bit lighter. All of a sudden, you take a little step forward and then you get up the next day and you do that and the next day and the next day you remind yourself of what you truly need you revoke the critics you remind yourself of truth you remind yourself of what you truly need revoke the critics recall truth day after day after day after day it's a toolbox it doesn't fix it but it helps us remain or stay or get dependent on God in the midst of our depression so, we're going to close with communion today. Um, worship team's going to come. They're going to sing a song for us, over us, with us. And, and maybe you can identify with some of this. Maybe you can't. Um, but you have friends and family members who do. But I want to encourage all of us, regardless of where you find yourself today, I, I want to point you to what Jesus accomplished on the cross, Right? Like this, this new covenant between God and man. This is what, we, what communion represents. And he does all three of these things for us, whether we deal with depression or not. Right? So communion. C communion reminds us of what we truly need. We need God. We need grace. We need forgiveness. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have all of those things. And so much more available to us. So communion reminds us of what we truly need. The second thing, it revokes our critic. Our ultimate critic, it revokes Satan's work in our life. He's a liar. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life. And his broken body represented by the bread, his shed blood represented by the juice, it points us to the fact that he has power over our critic. And we can listen to him as opposed to the critic. And when we do this, we celebrate communion as a tangible physical reminder 
of what is ultimately true, even when we struggle to feel it. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like sin and death and depression is winning. And I just need to be reminded, no, it's not. No, it's not. Depression doesn't get the last word. Sin doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word for followers of Jesus. He does. He does. Because the body that was broken and died on the cross rose to victory three days later. This is everything that we celebrate. This is everything we remember in communion. So we're going to want to come to the table today. There's not an actual table. We're going to come to the table figuratively. We celebrate open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in this. We simply ask that you know who Jesus is. You put your trust in him. Okay. And for some of you, maybe you want to take that, this opportunity here over the next couple minutes to do just that. Because you've been hanging out with us for a couple weeks, a couple, a couple months, whatever it is. You've heard us talk about Jesus. You've heard us sing about Jesus. You believe in a historical Jesus, but you've never thought to have a conversation with him personally. And place your trust in him. I believe, we believe that's actually possible. You don't need to, you don't need to know magic prayer, secret handshake. You communicate with him that you're placing your trust in him and what he has done on your behalf. And that's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. And if you're not sure how to do that, you have questions about that, ask the person that invited you. Come talk to one of our pastors. Find somebody with a name tag on after service. We'd love to have a conversation about that. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing at any point during these next few moments. You can stay seated. You can stand. But when you're ready, you, you take the elements, you take the bread, you take the juice, and just remember. You remember, you celebrate what Jesus has done on your behalf. And maybe for the very first time, you thank him for what he's done on your behalf. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the honesty of inspired by God people throughout the, the years that we have a record. It's a written record for anybody and everybody to see that life can be really, really, really hard, really, really, really dark. And we can still put our hope in you. And some of us are going to have to live in the tension of that for seasons of our life, for moments in our life, some of us for all of our life. But you can still be good. You can still be at work in us. You can still use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And so, Father, as we take a few moments to remember what you've done on our behalf in history. Would you, through your spirit, remind us of these things? Would you show us that you, through the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have conquered the critic in our life? Would you help us to recall what's true, even if we walked into this place today not feeling it? And we'll give you praise. Thank you. We love you. And we pray it all in this name above all names. In the name of Jesus. Amen.